Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Book Changed My Life. I am Natalie Ford. Thank you, as usual, so much for joining me. Okay, so I recorded today's episode um, a week or so ago, but I'm recording the intro on Tuesday evening. I always record my intros the night before I post episodes. So we are on day two of virtual learning. And I think one thing I was just thinking about coming on the recording this intro and uh, you know, it's like I wanted to say something wise or uplifting or something about virtual learning. Um, and then I just thought, you know what? I don't, I, I just, I don't think I want to or need to. I've been in um, a lot of therapy throughout my life. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from a therapist was, she told me, you know, sometimes you can just move through a situation without passing judgment on it, right? Like it's, you don't have to determine whether everything is good or bad or sad or frustrating or hard. You can just move through it and you don't have to criticize it, but you can just take it for what it is. And I think that that, you know, it's only day two. How much do we, can we really say at this point? I think that's where I'm at with all of this is we're just all moving through it. And I think every day is going to look better. Every day we're going to all get better at using all these tools. And I saw um, on Instagram Brockman's t-shirts. We're all in this together. I thought they were adorable. And it's true. Like as far apart as we all are, um, we, we are as good, we're working together as closely as we can given the situation. And that's true of us and our students also. And I think that that is something that I have to remember is that I'm not doing this alone. And that's a great thing to know. And I think the sentiment of we're all in this together is so appropriate because I have such a team player on the podcast today. Today, I am interviewing Angie Church. Angie Church is a person who, when I think about Berkeley High School, I think about people like Lenny Waldman, Dan Inman, Angie Church. There's a lot of people in the social studies department, Meg Blackwell, Jen Simone. People who have been at the high school longer than me, people who were at the high school when I got there 15 years ago, and people who have stayed at the high school. Um, It's been amazing seeing, you know, going through our lives together. When I got there, Angie didn't have any kids. Her kids are now, I think, going into seventh grade. Um, So it's been awesome being a coworker of hers. She's been one of these sort of Jen Simone, Megan Blackwell type figures, female, a little older than me in terms of her experience as a teacher. And so I, I look to these women a lot for guidance and help in navigating the crazy world of not just being a teacher, but being a teacher and a mom. Because those two things are a lot of work on their own. And when you smash them together, uh, yeah, it's pretty tough. But those ladies know how to do it. I'm really excited to play this. I, I, I should have taken a picture of my phone when, when I ended the call with Ange because the phone was like, you've recorded too much, basically. <laughs> I always use my phone as a backup you know, recorder. And the phone was like, we couldn't, we couldn't save it. This was too long. So I think this is my longest conversation to date. And you, you guys aren't even gonna hear the whole thing because I had to talk to her for a while afterwards. But we cover a lot of ground and Ange has um, a cool story and there, there's a lot of wisdom in this interview. And again, like that's the, that's the great part about Andy Church is she is so humble and she is so wise. And I think that's a really rare combination. 
She is her usual self, and that, of course, is the woman that we all know and love. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. I know I loved having this conversation. So here we go. Okay, so let's get rolling. You know how this works. I'm going to mm-hmm. say, how'd you get here? And then I want to know about what you were like as a kid. And I think I think I know what you were like as a kid, but I don't really actually, I've never asked you that before. Yeah. And then you're going to tell us about the book that changed your life. So tell us about your journey to BHS. So, um... I start, I think I was in, yeah, it was when I got hired in Berkeley, it was my third year teaching. So my very first teaching job was just outside of Lansing where I grew up. So I grew up in a little town called Hazlitt. And then I got hired in a neighboring town, DeWitt, which was basically just like the town I grew up in, but 15 miles away. Um, And then I worked there for a year. I coached, I taught, I did the whole deal and taught seniors when I was 18, which, you know, or, you know, when I was 21, which was crazy, they were 18. And then, um, and then I did something crazy. I left DeWitt and went to Arizona and found a job there because it was like my, I'm going to see, you know, where I want to live and I'm going to, you know, get out. And so I ended up living in Arizona for a year and I taught in a very different high school. It was huge, like 3000 kids. Um, you know, in Arizona, there's no windows or anything. You're just in this like cement building. It's crazy. I loved, loved my kids, but it was, um, it was rough. I mean, it was definitely like a rough group of kids. So then when I decided to come back to Michigan, I was like, where am I getting a job? Um, my husband now, but, um, boyfriend, fiance at the time, whatever, he got hired in the Detroit Metro area. So I was like, okay, let's see what's there. Um, end up getting an interview in Berkeley, had no idea where, you know, like everybody says, like, right. where's Berkeley? I don't know. Driving down 11 mile. I remember I was like, what is this? Is this like, is, is this manufacturing? <laughs> what is this place? And then I, uh, yeah, I really, I loved the interview. I, I want it. Here was my dream. I wanted a small town district where there was a real sense of community but not so small like where I grew up. And I wanted yeah. more diversity. And Berkeley did all, the, I mean, Berkeley checked all those boxes. So um, so anyway, I Berkeley was my third school. And um, this I'm starting my 21st year in Berkeley. Okay, have you always been a social studies teacher? Or you now you're like totally ninth grade US, but has that always been what you've taught? Yeah, so I've always taught social studies, but I've taught all the different things econ, government. We had a really cool global issues class for a couple of years. That That was so cool. And then I taught Holocaust class with you once. Yep. And so, you know, a lot of different elective stuff, but yeah, always social because my major social studies, my Myers history. So I, I, I knew I wanted social studies. So now you're like a hundred percent ninth grade U S history. Is that right? Yes. And I have been, I, I think for like, nine or 10 years. Yeah. How oh do you God. feel about that? Crazy. I've always loved U.S. history. Um, and I like the ninth grade. I like the ninth graders, actually. Uh, you like I, them the summer, Ange. I don't know. Yeah. If you- <laughs> yeah, I know. I like their energy. They drive me crazy. It's a lot. But I like kind of that, that I'm going to mom you, you yeah. know, as a yeah. ninth grader. I'm okay with that. 
Um, I loved econ and I loved government too. Um, so I would, I would be way open to teaching those again. They're so relevant. They're so constantly happening. But when we took on reading apprenticeship oh, yeah. and really worked to make ninth grade kind of that reading apprenticeship experience, then U.S. history just became the deal. I saw something you, you either liked on Twitter or retweeted or something on Twitter. And the tweet was from another teacher. And it said the, the tweet was, this is the year of the social studies teacher. And this was like mm -hmm. in the midst of, you know, this police brutality, yeah. of, you know, the murder of uh, the long list, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and, you know, even the one, you know, recently. So yeah. what, what did that tweet mean to you? Well, you know, this is interesting because I think this is the part of social studies that I've always been drawn to. I mean, like growing up, I never was like, oh, I love history or mm -hmm. like I never saw myself as. But I think over time, it's more apparent to me that social justice, um, really making space for more voices, that's stuff I really love. I mean, that's stuff that I'm pretty passionate about. And I think with social studies, it's always tricky because it's so political. I mean, it, when our standards are written, I mean, that's why we still don't have national standards because you'll, it, yeah, you'll never have them. Yeah. It's like every politician, you know, gets their voice in and wants certain things. And so fortunately being in Berkeley, we've had a lot of freedom. I mean, we've had a lot of freedom to, pursue some different things and gives kids some options to explore. Um, but we still have a lot of work to do. I mean, it, it, it makes me think about, I was just talking to a teacher who teaches in Texas and she said, man, we're spending all our time with English and math and our kids are going to have double time English math. And I looked at her and I go, and we also need social studies and science. She's like, I know, I know. But I think what I, in the midst of the pandemic, it's like, and you've said this on so many of your podcasts, we need to be able to understand and make sense of science. We need to get when the research is revealed, what has happened prior to that point. This isn't just a gut feel. And I feel that way about social studies too, that like we have to, we have to do a better job as social studies teachers to build these critical thinking. I mean, how many times I've said to myself, if people would just think for themselves about this, think about who's behind it, who's paying for it, what's their motivation, what do they want you to believe and how does that help them? Um, but that's hard to do, you know? I mean, I think that's part of why it's it's a hard role. You know, and even like in Andy's staff meeting um, today when he said, we got to be careful about what we say in the classroom. We got to be careful about our politics. And that's what's so hard. Like we need discourse. We need conversation. Right. But then it's always like, wait, whoa, okay, I'm the teacher. So I got to play devil's advocate. I got to bring up stuff I don't believe in, you know, get, make sure that there, there's space for those different viewpoints. And so I think that's, I think that's part of what draws me to it. I also think it's part of what makes it really challenging. Yeah, for sure. I know. I heard him say that in the staff meeting and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what a, like just digesting that comment was mm -hmm. a lot. I mean, I totally mm -hmm. understand what he's saying. Right. But at the same time, you're like, 
we've never been in hotter water. <laughs> we we have to pres preserve democracy. And I think that's the other thing I'm doing is a lot of things that I thought, oh my gosh, for years I've taught checks and balances. Oh, don't worry. No one branch will get too powerful because the other, it's like, wait a second, that's not happening. So that I've had these sort of realizations like, huh, I don't think I really taught that right. <laughs> I was that's off funny. on that. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. And I had never thought of that before when I was thinking about, well, okay, pause for a sec. One thing I wanted to say was, this is the year of the social studies teacher and the science teacher. I mean, of course, I never think the English teacher, all human problems, humanitarian problems. Yes. So I'm with that. But yes. still, like, like you said, this is not the time to skimp on either one of these mm -mm. super important topics. And mm -mm. Because, because if we do, and I think, you know, they have been in the past, maybe this mm -hmm. is the price we pay. This is the right. price. We pay. Yes. Pay. I'm with you, Nat. <laughs> I do think, like you said, democracy has to be preserved and you preserve it by educating yes. your population. And that's, I mean, that's Ugh. the root of, that's why we need strong public education and that's why we need more resources and that's why we need to work towards, you know, more equitable education. All of that is really in the name of stronger democracy. So yeah, it's all related, which is why I, I do love social studies because it does feel real, so real in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I heard this, uh, I don't know. I was listening to some podcast. I can't remember what it was, but this guy said, and I agree with this. He said, the simple argument will beat the complicated argument every single time. You know, when you're like, ah, that's not, that's not but it's true. Right. It's true. And it, it just, yeah. makes, so of course there's a huge incentive to make sure that people don't get an education. Right. Yes. Like, yeah. Cause um, then you can just manipulate them. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yep. And I thought this is why we need strong public education is because that's a hundred percent right. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So let's switch gears a little bit here. What were you like as a kid? Were you always like this curious and excited about learning? So I always really loved school. I mean, like I was always at school every day. I was very much like school's my jam, but I had to work really hard. So um, I grew up with two teachers. Both my parents were teachers, both elementary teachers. Um, and so I was always like with my parents getting their rooms ready. Like school was just like what we did. Right. So um, it was very much like my happy place. Um, but I didn't. It's interesting because I didn't see myself as like a really strong learner. I I saw myself more as a struggler, like everybody else gets it and I don't. And obviously that was not the case, but I always felt like, how, th how do they know that? Like I, you know, like the pieces were somehow missing for me. And I, now that I can reflect on it, I think a lot of that was, um, I think I really had comprehension challenges. I think I did a lot of decoding and yep, I read what was on the page, but I had no idea what I was reading and I didn't really have any strategies to help work through that. So it was just like, eh, I'm dumb. Uh, I don't know it. Everybody else does. I'm just going to sit here. So somehow I, I mean, I, I developed confidence, but I think I developed confidence through other things, right? Like um, relationships with peers. Um, mm -hmm. I always really loved my teachers and I was like, a, you know, I'm pleasing, like please mm -hmm. the adult kind of thing. 
Um, and then athletics and, you know, other parts of school, I think really helped grow my confidence. But yeah, like uh, reading and testing. Yeah, not my thing. I was like, I'm just going to hope I do okay, you know, and it was not so I that confidence came as I as I grew, you know, as I got older. When we're supposed to wear our college t-shirts, you always like proudly rock your college. Yep, I do. Well, you know, I had I it's really interesting because I I I don't know how many years ago I kind of had that like aha, you know, like even when the kids leave, you know, when the seniors leave and they've all got their shirts on and then it's always because I because I experienced that. Right. It was like, where are you going? LCC. Oh, oh, too bad. You know, there's always like this. Oh, sorry for you. And it's like, no, it's OK. I mean, I'm all right with it. <laughs> really, it's OK. But I think there's yeah, I'm a huge proponent of community college. I'm all about it. I think depending on the kid. Right. There, there's so many right. circumstances, but um, yeah, it was really good for me. Some of my best, still some of my best classes were at community college and I went to, I ended up going to central and then I went to Michigan state for my master's. So I have a pretty, you know, broad, um, exposure, three different schools, but yeah, some of my best, some of my best professors were there. So how did you, why did you, why did you decide to go to community college? Well, so, uh, I mean, this is really like talk about privilege. So my dad taught there. So by oh. the time I was, I don't know how old I was, but my dad switched. He taught elementary school and then decided he ended up at the community college teaching um, drafting. And so I could go to LCC for free. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And so my parents sort of made a deal with my brother and I and said, if you go to LCC for two years, then we pay for your, you know, your next two years, wherever you go. Well, I didn't, I was like, okay, done deal. And yeah. I don't mind, I didn't mind living at home. I was fine about being at home with my parents. So, um, I was really fortunate. And I think it also helped kind of flip the, like, it took some of the stigma away. Like mm -hmm. there's all kinds of learners at community college, you know, yeah. all walks of life. And that was a really great experience for me coming from a really kind of sheltered school, high school. Um, I learned a lot and I had exposure to, you know, people from all different cities, all different high schools. Um, and that was really, that was good. It was, yeah, much, much more diverse than anything I had experienced prior to. Yeah, so, yeah. That's an interesting word. I don't think I would have, I would have made that assumption about a community college, but it makes total sense that you're saying that. Mm -hmm. okay, so were you, did you read books on your own at, like, as a kid or in high school? My memory is so so um like when I was young young I remember always being read to and um like I you know a couple dip like Velveteen Rabbit and like Giving Tree like other people have mentioned but like in elementary school I wasn't I, I don't remember like picking up books by choice it was yeah. always like this is something you have to do and then middle school same thing what's assigned okay I'll read and like you know fine but then I did start reading, like, somebody else talked about it. I mean, I read all the flowers in the attic, all the, those are such horrible, like, it's all about incest. Like, I was, I was reading that in middle school. And when I think about what my own kids are reading now, this amazing literature and like, oh my 
gosh. So I really feel, I feel like I really missed out. I'm trying to make up for it at this point in my life. But yeah, middle school, I read kind of that trashy stuff. Um, and then just sort of like moving into high school, I didn't read. I, I just didn't pick stuff up to read. It was like, what's my homework? That's my, you know, that's what I'll do. And that was it. So, um, yeah, it really wasn't till like my senior year of high school that books became like, ooh, huh, there might be something here. Um, and that was, yeah, I think about all the time kind of lost in that. But are you, are you, a, and if you, if you could, are you a reader now? Like as an adult, do you like oh, to read? Oh, yeah, I read constantly. Are. Yes, I read constantly. So, um, and like other people have said on the podcast, different times in my life, different yeah, degrees yeah. of reading, right? So like right now I'll have, like I have three different books going and I never used to do that. I always used to have one book, start it, finish it, get through it. And now I'm like, oh, I don't want to feel, I don't want to read that book tonight. Or, mm -hmm. you know, so I kind of have like a couple options based on what I'm, what I'm in the mood for. Like, do I really want something heavy? Do I want something that I'm learning that I'm trying to be a better person or do I want something light and fluffy, you know? <laughs> Where I don't have to think about myself. Uh, right. Okay, right. so wait, uh, tell us the book that changed your life. Okay, so the book that changed, well, gosh, there's so many. So the book that changed my life in terms of turning me back on or on in the first place to reading, um, well, I read it my senior year, and it was A Time to Kill by John Grisham. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, um, tell, tell our listeners. Okay. So, A Time to Kill is in John Grisham, obviously. He has so many novels. Um, I, read his, I read A Time to Kill. It was spring break of my senior year, and um, I was with my parents, my family, on vacation. And it rained almost like the whole, we were in Myrtle Beach and it rained. So my mom had three books. She had The Firm, A Time to Kill, and Pelican Brief, all in paperback. I remember holding them even. And um, she she was reading one, but I was reading one, and I took A Time to Kill. I was like, fine, it's raining. What else am I going to do? No beach, right? So um, this book from Go just hooked me. So basically um, a whole bunch of, it's all based on racial injustice, right? The young girl, I don't remember, mm -hmm. she's 10 or 12, young black girl, um, I think Mississippi, is brutally assaulted and killed by two white guys in the community. And her dad seeks revenge. And he works with this lawyer and this lawyer's like, no, you can't do this. You cannot seek revenge. He seeks revenge. He kills the two guys. And this, there was just this like part in the book when one of the jurors um, says to the rest of the jurors, what if this dad was a white dad? And it was a, and it was a white and his white daughter had been assaulted and killed by two black men, would our verdict be different? And I think, and you know, this is kind of that, like, this is something that 
I don't know for sure because I can't remember, but it feels like this was kind of a turning point for me because it was one of those like, I just couldn't put this book down. But then I also was like, whoa, there is so much complexity here. Like, and as my little like 17 year old self, like, I didn't have to grapple with the whole, I didn't grapple with injustice, right? And I didn't grapple with like, when, when would that sort of revenge be appropriate or would it ever be appropriate or like that gray? I, I like that gray. And I think that book, I went and I read like all the rest of his, I read the firm, I read the Pelican brief, I read the client, I read the chamber. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, I just, you know, wanted every bit of it. And it, it, it just, um, even though it's fiction, it's really fiction. I think it it's based on so many real, you know, real societal issues. And so I think it kind of, I've kind of felt like, Ooh, yeah, I could it like reading can bring me some joy and some contemplation and some stimulation that I don't think I, but it was, I, I have to tell you, that was kind of in conjunction, like, especially you as an English teacher, my senior year English class um, really, I think, prepared me to enter that moment because I was reading. So I tell was reading, more. okay, so first of all, we only had one section of AP English when I was in high school and you had to apply to get in. And so I remember sitting in the library and it was one of those like, mom, I don't think I should apply. She's like, what's it gonna hurt? Why don't you apply? I'm like, okay, I, I'm not gonna get in, but I'll go. And we had to write an essay. We had to read a little thing and I got picked. Somehow I made it into this 25 kid, you know, special class, only 25 kids could get in. And it was that same, oh my God, everybody in the room knows this. They have the keys. I don't have any keys. I'm going to sit on the fringe and just hope to dear God, nobody calls on me. And we were reading like Catch-22, Their Eyes Are Watching God, you know, all the um, Heart of Darkness. I mean, all sorts of <laughs> really, you know, intense literature, which I always felt like I was totally on the outside of. But it, it, that rich experience gave me some, I mean, I, I know that I developed tools within that class. I had a phenomenal teacher who really pushed us to write and then gave us feedback on our writing. I remember she would even write on, like she'd write on my essay and she'd say, now last time you were doing this. And now this time you've got to keep developing because you've made some progress. And I remember whenever I would read her feedback, I'd be like, how did she how does she remember it? But there was only 25 of us. There's one, <laughs> there's like one section of it. I mean, now as a teacher, I get that better. Um, but I think it, so it was sort of like the conditions were right, right? Like I was getting some exposure to high level texts. I was hearing a lot of talk around those texts. I was working my tail off to try to read them and make sense of them. And then I, you know, was put, it was put into my hand, a pretty engaging story and it was just like the conditions were right, I think. Did you have an interest in social justice? Uh, do you have a, okay, let me, let me ask the question and then I want to okay. say something after it. Did you have an interest in social justice before this book? And then I, I like, in my brain, I think of you as like 
you know, 17 year old Angie from Hazlitt. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So and then, like, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know? yeah, it was, I think that, I think that was the whole, like, trying to see things from other perspectives. Right. I think, um, I, I don't think any of us do that real well. Like, I think right. we really have to practice that yeah. and, okay. and really be mindful. Um, and so that's such a good question. Cause I have such a hard time thinking about like who really was I and how do I remember myself? Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I did like, I did things when I was younger, like um, to support the, um, the farmers that were picking grapes. I made signs and put them like in our car windows that said like um, boycott grapes, um, um, stand up for, you know, work super detached right like wh what does that do like that's it, it, not necessarily but I was thinking, you but care I, about your farmers so i was i think i was like trying to think about that stuff yeah. and yeah. uh maybe figure out what a role could you know what my role could be but then always being timid you know like then i'm also always kind of guarded like should I put myself out there? Like I really have to push myself to right. go be an advocate. Like right. that doesn't come naturally. So yeah. So you had an interest, like you were a clearly a very empathetic person, but your practice was limited. Your world was limited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. Not a lot of broad experiences. Um, pretty sheltered, really sheltered. And then once you got out of high school and you go to community college, because I, I find your book so interesting that you're a social studies teacher and the book that changed your life is this, because it is kind of, A Time to Kill is a perfect mix of like, obviously a really compelling story, yes. but it's, it's written in a very readable way. Like yes. everybody can. It's very enterable. Totally. Fly through that thing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that that's such a good, it was such a good pick for the 17 year old you. And then after you read that, did you find yourself more interested in these types of stories or these types of worlds? So then it's interesting because my, then I just started like, um, I'd get into like a thing. So then I read like a whole bunch of Mary Higgins Clark, just like, you know, mystery, mystery. Then I got into like, which kind of speaks to like where I was in my life. Like in some ways in college, like I didn't get more, I don't know sometimes I think like I regressed in some ways, but anyway, that's the sidebar. That's okay though. I mean, that's what college is all about, right? Sort of weird, right. But, and then I read like James Patterson and all that crazy, yeah. like along came a spider. Oh my God, stuff I would never read now. Like, no, yeah. no, I don't want to read that. And so I really loved that stuff. But then um, it was interesting. When I was finishing at Central, um, one of my professors, I don't know, he wasn't, he was an advisor. He came to watch my lesson. I was student teaching eighth graders and um, he was giving me some feedback. It was pretty vague, pretty vague. And then he's like, okay, two pieces of advice for you. The first is as soon as you think you're a great teacher, you're no longer a great teacher anymore. And you'll have plateaued. Like that's it. That's your peak. And you're never going to get back there because you just think you're done. And I remember I was like, I thought my lessons were pretty good. You know, like, I, you know, I was so like not clued in about that. Right. And then he said, um, and my second piece of advice is 
always, always read in your content area. He said, you have to continue to be a learner in your content area. And that will help support how strong of a teacher you are. And so, and I didn't really know this guy that well. Like I had another advisor that was like my social studies advisor. And this was like teacher advisor, whatever. And so I didn't even really have a, a, a relationship with him. But those two things really stuck with me. And I think it was like, okay, yeah, if I really say I like the social studies thing, like I got to read social, like I've got to be as informed as I can be and just like keep it coming. So that's when I think it started. That's when I think the social justice piece came back a little bit in this, this whole idea of varied perspectives. Yeah. Um, you know, looking for whose story is this, uh, whose story is not. Right. You know, whose story is left out. I think that's when that started to happen for me. I think. What What about that first piece of advice? He's saying like, yeah. be humble or what do you think that's all about now? Now that you're like seeing through his eyes as like a veteran teacher. I think it's, I think it's that same, like, this is an ongoing forever thing. Right. I, right. You know, I think, you know, like I mentioned reading apprenticeship earlier. I mean, that would be, that would be something that changed my life as a teacher because I think it was, you know, even preparing to talk to you, Nat, just thinking back about things. I think so much of my insecurities as a reader was because I didn't feel like I had entry points. I didn't feel like I had strategies. I didn't feel like I had time to process information. And so anyway, my takeaway from what he said now is that, we're never done. You know, there's just, which yeah. is now, I mean, when you think about what we're in and we're trying to switch gears and we're right. trying to think about how to do this with kids, it's right. like, I, 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 and I think that's been true, like trying to implement reading apprenticeship and, mm -hmm. and focus on the process and give kids space to have metacognitive conversation. You never just go, yep, got it. We're good you know, cause it just yeah. is constantly evolving. And, um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of my interpretation of it now that like, you just don't, maybe at that young age, you think you're just going to get there. Oh, after I've done this three years, I'll yeah, just yeah. have it. <laughs> three years. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> and wait, I'm also laughing about you being like, like waiting for feedback, being like, Hey, that lesson, like that was a 10 out of 10. Good, right? Right? <laughs> like, Listen, when you're 55 and you think you're good, you're not actually good. You're not good. <laughs> Talk about like totally taking the wind out of my sails, right? I'm like this little, you know, 21 year old going, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait, but it's funny. I, I remember reading something a long time ago, like, because I've been in the game, this will be my 16th year, I think. Uh -huh. And it was like, I was five years in and it was like, it, you know, you got to, after 10 years, maybe people will call you a real teacher. I can't remember what it was, but it was like 10 years. And I remember thinking like, what? What are they talking about? And now going into 16, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it took me at least 10 years to like figure things out, yeah. you know? And now, I mean, we're all going to be immersed in the world of technology, whether we like it or not. And this is really annoying, but we're going to learn a ton that we didn't yes. know before that yep. is probably necessary moving into the future with these students. Um but yeah, like time is weird. Where when when I was twenty three, I was like ten years. Oh my god, like that's such a long time. Right. And I'm like boom, 
please it's forever and and you know i think it's also like um uh, uh what did i was it how i don't know anyway recently i read this um what a, it's washington's relentless pursuit of um own a judge it's one of the one of the enslaved people that washington mr and mrs washington george and martha owned and then spent basically their whole life trying to find her she escaped and like i knew nothing about like i did not know that story at all and i think that's the part that is is so fun about it's true of anything i guess but it's the social studies history part that i'm really drawn to is like we think of the founders and kind of you know these elite leaders and look at this am amazing governmental structure totally 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 but like what else right like what else is the context where else are the pieces and that's the part that i love and i think we just have to we just have to do a better job you know really interweaving that with class and what kids have access to in terms of social studies because there's so much more you know there's so much more to the story yeah i mean with hamilton which obviously i love memorized and i saw this summer for the first time but it's like you know i think about how like that's just one teeny tiny, tiny tiny piece of of the, this big picture and everyone's like you know minds minds are blown off that musical like i never knew any of this and it's like wait that means that there's just an iceberg of, of everything which i think is what that advisor was saying right, right. we never know it all there's right. way more out there but right. the more we read the more we learn then we start putting it together then we start making those connections right so yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of a good example of if you just kind of stick with, yep, I know it. I've read it. I, you know, I already know what there is to know. Well, then you sure don't. I know yeah. I've said this before, but I think the best thing I can do as a teacher is just be like, guys, I don't know anything. I, right. I know absolutely nothing. Right. So let's just go try to like um, learn more together and <laughs> Piece it together, everyone. I know. Well, okay. So I was really debating about my book. So I picked a time to kill because that was the one that really was like engaged me as a reader. But like then, when I think about as a parent, mm -hmm. um, the there were two no, well three three books that like actually I changed, and um, one was um. And I know that there's so many people with littles. You've got you're you are in the midst of I don't even know how you do this, Natalie Ford. Um, so the first one is healthy sleep habit, healthy sleep habits, happy child. And I read it when my when my kids were real little, and it was like sleep begets sleep. You get your kids on this routine, and they you get them sleeping, and your life will be so much better. And as a person who loves sleep, I was like. Yes, <laughs> I'm doing this. And it really shifted my whole because I always had that mentality. Well, keep them up later and then they'll sleep longer. Never work, never work. So never. that was one that I was like, thank you. I don't even remember how that book fell into me, but that was like huge. And then the other one was um Love and Logic, which you know, there's a whole bunch of love and logics. Have you ever no, I don't know. Okay, no. so there's like love and logic for toddlers, love and logic for like elementary age, love and logic for high schoolers. And this one was um, like 
my, <laughs> my kids were three and my son, I was like, I said something to him, like you're done, whatever. I picked him up and he just slugged me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, what do I do? I can't have a kid that slugs me. <laughs> like, I was like, so, so he's like sitting in his room. I'm out on the stairs and I was just like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What? So I got online and I was just like, what's out there. And so I feel like that was one that changed me because I, it switched in me. Like when I don't know what to do, I just buy a book. And, you know, usually that expert has something that I can take away. And so Love and Logic did that for me. Like, you know, I got to get I got to get Love and Logic. We have one that we have. a 12, Well, we, our kids are the same age. Yes. Your kids are way sweeter than my kid. I already <laughs> No, depends on the day. <laughs> depends on the day. A friend, a, a, Joe's cousins came to visit us this summer and they have a 12 year old. And the mom was reading this book called it was published a long time ago, but it's called like, I hate you, get out of my life, but can you first drive me and Cheryl to the mall? <laughs> Total teenage. And I looked, I looked at it, I was like, okay, yeah, that's me. And then his, most, his child psychologist, his more recent book is called, that Joe's reading right now is called, um, what's it called? Oh, I would listen to my parents if they would just shut up or something like that. That is so good. Anyway, but um, yeah, like you, the other thing about parenting is like, you think, I thought that I would just like know how to deal with stuff because like no I had a kid, right? So yeah. isn't it programmed in there somewhere? No. Then things happen and you're like, what? What? Yes. And yeah, it's like it's like this, wait, there's gotta be experts out there because we're messing stuff up. You know, we're messing up all kinds of stuff, right? So it's like if there's any mess ups I can prevent or somehow alleviate, tell me. <laughs> like I want that. Okay, and then the third one which I just read recently, that was the most recent one, is um, Conscious Parent. Tell me about Conscious Parent. Okay, and I can't remember her, I, the author's name. Oh, she's amazing. I can't remember her name. I thought maybe I had it here, but um, her, whole, her whole approach is that our kids are here for us to be the learners. I don't like that. Tell, sell me on okay. it. Okay, so it's a whole... It's a whole flip around. And that's kind of what I loved about it is that it's it's this book that you go, wait, what? You know, wait a second, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so there's something about like, because I'm so drawn to like everything I agree with that right. like this was a really powerful one because her whole premise is, you know, each of our kids are there have their own uniqueness and we so want them to be us, even if yeah. we're not conscious of that, right? It's like, well, I this is the way I did it. That was the normal. And so she really spends time talking about listening to your kids and letting your kids be their own self that's not a mini mom or mini dad. And um, that was, a, I think, really important for me to read because you know, we do this all the time, right? So-and-so looks like so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so acts like so-and-so. And, -so, and we do all this like comparing. And so this, I think oh, this, man. oh no, I, you're fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm listening. This, this book gives that space to like really question and think about is this, um, am I approaching this in a way? Am I really listening to my kids 
in terms of what they need and what, because she argues that they know that like kids actually are the most pure and not as tainted, right? And so they are ready to be their authentic self right now. And then she argues that as we get older, we get, we move farther and farther away from our authentic self. And so then it, it kind of made me sad a little bit, you know, I was like, yeah, I was just thinking, how do I get back to my authentic self, Ange? <laughs> this leads to a lot of questions, Nat. I know, like, what is my authentic self? And what have I shoved to the side, you know, in order to, you know, mold and be part of kind of what's expected? So that's right. a really good, powerful. I heard her. She was on one of Oprah's Soul Sundays. That's how Wait, I found her. What's the author's name? I know. I was trying to find. Oh, Shafali. Shafali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I've heard her before. Sasbury or Sasbury. She's really good. Shafali. I've heard her before, and I like that concept because I do think that too often I'm like, well, aren't you going to do this because that's mm -hmm. what we do, and that's just fair. And like, I, I think we're about the same age. Like, I think about the magic of being an 80s kid is that like mm -hmm. no one ever thought about you like nobody cared right. about you. like not in a bad way my mom loved me right. but I remember she was like wait you want to do what okay yeah uh, okay fine <laughs> figure out where you're gonna get right yeah I gotta right. go yeah but there was such there was the space to like cook up the dumbest craziest silliest mm -hmm. thing and then I was like mom I'm gonna da, da, da. And, and they wouldn't like obsess yeah. about it or google it Nope. Or, um, you know, try to get me to the top of whatever class. They were just like, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, eat your dinner and right. Look, then it was all. And that was and it. I, yeah, we've um, we're not doing good as mm -hmm. 21st century parents. We're way too invested in things that don't belong to us. So I think yeah, that's why it's such a powerful read because it, it sort of forces you to go, okay, I just need a pause. Right. I just need to pause for a minute what are we doing and what messages are we sending and how are we listening and how are we not listening? You know, all those, it's just a really good self-check, I think. Yeah. I need that one for sure. So well, that's I mean, a good one. Mm -hmm. Conscious parent. Okay. So wait, you have time to kill love mm -hmm. and love. I, I haven't heard of this is like a series. I'm going to Google that yes. one too. So check that out because I, and that's kind of like, that's like a reference book. I, I use, really use it as a reference book. You know, it's a lot of this, like, you can't, you can't say, if you don't stop, we're going to get in, you know, we're going to get in the car and leave if you have no intention of leaving that place. And so it was, it was good. Like it helped me with phrasing, right? Mm -hmm. Like how to this or that, here are your choices, this or that. And like, I needed that. I needed sentence stems. <laughs> Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, they really, they yes. really do a lot of good work. I mean, I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 12 or 18 or you know, almost 40. Yeah, it, sentence stems. Yes, for sure. So yeah, the, and then you know the other thing, um, I feel like you've been so good about really kind of um, emphasizing on the podcast is then your impact on your kids in terms of they're reading and like, I, you know, you've said before, like, I know it's not necessarily what I want Kai reading up, but like, let's just go with it. And, you know, kind of that struggle all the time of like, yeah, just read, but then are we also pushing ourselves to read? And then sometimes I'm like, they're just reading, they're reading, they're reading, they're reading. Like, let's see. And a couple of years ago, we read Harry Potter, like, oh, like through the summer, 
And uh, I would have never read, I had never read Harry Potter until I read it with my kids. It's not my jam. It's like not my thing. Sci-fi is like, nope. But first of all, you're clearly a muggle. Yeah, so I'm sorry. I know, clearly and proud of it. But um, I stuck with it because I was reading it with them. And what an amazing now connector we have, right? Because we read that whole thing. And then um, and then this summer, you can tell like how far we've come. And now we're in the 12s. We read um, Fault in Our Stars, John Green. Oh, wow. Totally wow. different. Totally different, right? Wait, did they both read? So I read. So when we do a read, so with Harry Potter, they would take turns reading. But this summer for um, Fault in Their Stars, they were like, can you just read? Can you just read to us? I was like, sure. And it is, it talk about an intense, really, really powerful, very different book then. But we kind of each summer just pick something. And this was the one Liv really, Liv was really kind of pulling for this. She loves these realistic, she also loves this like, you know, realism. Um, and so that was a really intense to read together in such a different way. Um, but yeah, I just did the reading and they were the listeners. Once in a while, they'd read a chapter or two, but normally I was the reader. Did they, okay, I've, I've never read this, but I just know about it from like the movies and the previews. Yeah. Did they ask you questions? Oh yeah, we talked about all sorts of things. Because yeah, the two the two main characters are both cancer cancer patients. Right, but they're in love. Did your kids ask questions but about love? But they're in love, but we've already, yeah, we've kind of talked about a lot. Of, yeah, we've sort of talked about a lot of that you know, it comes up a lot, which was sort of why this book I think was decent timing for, you know, where they are in their, um, really focusing on like the relationship between these two. Um, they loved the dialogue between the two. Oh, okay. Got it. And like, that was awesome. Like that was cool to then talk about relationships and, how people might, you know, let the other one know they like each other and, you know, all these things that are really like there, they're there, right? They're in shows we watch, they're every, but then we mm -hmm. sort of like, oh, elephant's here. So let's just talk about it as we read it, you know, it was really interesting. Wow, that's a lot of education happening for every person involved yeah. in that practice. But I love that whole read and talk, which is what yeah. what you do for a living. Read and talk, right. read and talk. But when I think about doing it with your own kids and just sort of like allowing the book to dictate where you're going to go. And then they get, like, I would assume that you're never like, oh, do you guys want to talk about this? Like, you're just yeah. letting them pick the stuff that they want to talk about. So then More they organic. feel more safe. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't feel like, oh, my mom's making this weird and I don't want it to be weird. Um, right. They are just going after their curiosity, which is so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just mom saying it, right? It's like about the characters, but then it can lead to conversations that where is your curiosity? What are you wondering about? And it's not just like mom lecturing us about some, <laughs> yeah. you know, some sensitive topic or something. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a great way. To, that's a really, uh, uh, that's a great way to get to hard topics is uh -huh. obviously I believe in fiction, but also like with your own children, mm -hmm. because then you're just as the parent, you don't even have to say anything. You're just reading this, the book off the page and then the kid yeah. can come back to you when they're ready. Yeah. That's yeah, because I think 
Um, last summer we read um, Homecoming, which I had never read before. It's I think Cynthia Voigt, maybe. Um, it's about kids who this these kids who their mom leaves them, and they are basically on their own to go fend for themselves to try to find distant family that they don't even know. And that was another one that it was like, oh my gosh, what would you do? What do you think you would do? Like things that came up about all sorts of things, how the kids treated each other, how they had nothing, how they tried to, how they were scared, how they were brave. Yeah, you're right. There's something about when it's through characters that, which you're like, yeah, I know this, Angie. I do this for a living. So you're like, yeah. Yeah, but like, the thing is I don't do it with my own kid, and mm -hmm. I probably should, but we're kind of at the age where, like, anything I say is, like, totally disgusting. And that's so the thing. I know. It's got to be, like, that's why I think it, it's just got to be the right time. There's so much that's got to yeah. be lined up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it helps. I don't know your kids really well, but I, I know that Liv is, like, very, like, she, She's a curious, social. if that yes. makes sense. Very, and so then, very curious. Yeah. But then that's good because then, you know, you don't have to pitch it. You're like, hey, you know, it's got a mature book. I don't know. You want to read it? And she's probably like, oh, yes, I want to read it. <laughs> she talked. <laughs> and then her brother's like, okay, I guess we're going to read this. Yeah, together. he's like, what are we reading? Okay. <laughs> but that's such a good strategy. And I, yeah. I think that. I think that in our house, Kai and jo Joe, they watch a lot of movies together right uh -huh. now, like they have a whole list. Mm -hmm. And although there's a lot of pausing and talking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you need <laughs> pausing and talking also. Yeah. Um, but I would love to, I just think it's a, what you're saying is a really good idea because mm -hmm. like you're saying, it just a lot, I, I, this is why I love books. It's just such a, safe spot to come back to yes. and even um who said this one of my elementary school teachers i think it was ann daniels and she's mm -hmm. like you wanna you wanna see something play out in a character before it happens to you so that and i was like oh my god yeah. that's the most beautiful thing i've ever heard yeah true it's not to say that your kids will be abandoned by their family someday but it's like when they have a loss or when they have a void, you know what I mean? Like something yep. is embedded in their heart by reading homecoming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, that's really cool. I know it's turned out to be like some, one of my favorite, it's like one of my favorite things about the summer because it, it really is a connector. And then, yeah, it gives us like a shared experience and it's so simple, such a simple, I mean, it requires so time, obviously, um, but then, mm -hmm. you know, there's lots of time when it's like, huh, what's everybody do? Let's read a couple chapters. Okay. And so it's just a night. It, yeah. It became a really nice go-to. So you do one a summer pretty much. Now, when we were doing Harry Potter, we were kind of like, I, I think maybe we did two, but yeah, we, we yeah. did. And I think we probably could have done a second one this summer. We just didn't, but the kids were reading their own stuff. And then I was like, yeah, yeah. just let them. Just let them. So yeah, it's yeah, it's like finding the the sweet spot, I guess, to not overdo yeah, it. Yeah. Also, it's nice. It's only one a summer. Then they can like really process it. You right. Know? That's what I hate about the school year. Sometimes is we're going so fast. It's like I know. And then it's on to the next. And then you're like, wait, what, right. where have we been? What did we do? I I think that's true of so much of what we do at school. Yeah. Lots to think about in terms of that. That's for sure. 
Yeah. Well, Ange, we've been talking for almost an hour. Oh my gosh, Nat. I know. This is like, and tomorrow, okay, first of all, tomorrow's the first day of school, basically, <laughs> because we have our PD that kicks off tomorrow. Um, I am also talking to you on the day that it was announced that you are the bear of the month. So I just want to give some accolades because you really have done such an amazing job building community in the midst of a time when community is so needed and there's such a disconnect with people and like you found a path through and you have stayed the course and I just like hats off to you. You absolutely are deserving as bear of the month, baby, bear of the year. But this has really been such a unifying space, I think, for the whole district and for lots, the community, the whole community. So thank you, baby. Well, that's really sweet of you. It, when Andy was giving a speech on the virtual staff, I was like, you know what? I, I first of all, I was so touched. Like, that was, <laughs> it was so awesome. Sweet. It was so sweet. And, and I was like, sometimes I walk around my house as we all do. And I think like, no one's listening to me. No one's paying attention. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. You know? And I don't think that about this podcast. I just think that about like my teaching career in general. And you know, like, is anybody listening? Is anybody listening? So true. It's, so, it's just so nice. It, it made me want to do it to other people to say like, Hey, I hear what you're doing mm -hmm. and I think it's really great. Like that's what it made me want to do. I was like, I just need to go tell someone because it was such a nice feeling because yeah. we're so, there's nobody to talk to about, there's nobody to talk to. Mm -mm. And, and I even found myself this week, like when I had to text the counselors about mm -hmm. stuff, I was asking the random questions like, I don't want to know. <laughs> Somebody talked to me about regular stuff. <laughs> and I just felt like it was so, it was just such a nice thing to do. Yeah. On that same note, this year in my own life and in teaching, I really want to like do things that don't like count for anything mm -hmm. and they don't, they won't equate to like a higher grade, a higher, no, they're just mm -hmm. like from the, the experience. heart. Experience. Yes. That's all it is. And yeah. I think that that is the most powerful stuff that we can do sometimes is talking to each other, like one human mm -hmm. to another human. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I just want I'm hoping in this crazy, dumb pandemic that it'll force us to slow down and pick the things that are the most important. Totally. So we'll see. But thanks. That was really nice of you. I appreciate yeah. that. It was okay. Thanks for coming on. And um, it was great to talk to you. And I would say I I'll see you soon. But if you're ever in the building, yeah. you, can, you can walk by and wave from six feet away. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll probably try to catch a peek of you this week. Good luck. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye, Ange. Bye, Nat.